either we need a shorter bumper or I need to take a lot more time to walk up here. Or we need something a little more snappy like Bon Jovi. Uh -huh, living on a prayer. Hey, it's good to see all of you. Welcome to Scottsdale Bible Church. My name is Rick, and it, it's, it's a little different the last six weeks. Uh, Pete and I have had the pleasure of being able to teach live, and normally what we do is we, we simulcast in live the teaching from Jamie, and gifted teacher, and just we're blessed to have him in our midst. And so, uh, but that's, that's typically what happens. So the last six weeks have been kind of fun for us because I think God speaks to us a little bit on how we'd like to kind of maybe help shape this campus here. And so it's been an absolute treasure to be able to preach through the book of Titus, which is a small book. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. We've been able to kind of navigate it the, uh, over the last six weeks. So I get to go bring the home stretch in, so bring it in for a landing. But before I do, there, there was one announcement I didn't have Pete make. I wanted to make it myself. Um, on August 4th, if you want to mark your calendars down, we are having, uh, for some of you probably remember Tracy. She was in a wheelchair, um, was missing a couple legs, used to sit right here or right there. And I, I mentioned a few weeks ago that she had passed away. And she really didn't have family. And the family we were able to kind of find basically said, you have her. And so the Lord was so good to give us Tracy. And as we journeyed together over four years together of seeing her come through this parking lot on her wheelchair and how slowly she went from the, the farthest reaches of the parking lot to the front row of this church, praising the Lord, um, is just an honor that we get to celebrate her life. So it, we're, we're just gonna have kind of a simple gathering on August 4th at four o'clock. I wanted to make it kind of easy. So the 4th at four. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna celebrate her life, but really we're just gonna give thanks to the Lord for allowing us to have Tracy in our lives. And so if you can join us for that, it will be great. Well, I'm going to get into Titus in just a moment here, but I want to pray and just allow the Lord to speak through this final book. And Titus, if you remember, I'm going to do a little bit of a review, but this is a letter that Paul has written to his young protege, Titus. They started a church in Crete, this little island in the Mediterranean. And they got started right, but then it didn't take much time until they just slowly got off course. And before you knew it, what was happening on Sunday didn't match what was happening on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and so on. And so what Paul said was, hey, let's get these guys back in line. And so we're going to do a little review and then kind of hear the final words of Paul this morning. But let's pray, give this time to the Lord, and just allow him to minister to all of us. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for the life that you've given us in Tracy. Um, Lord, I just... Um, I can't help but think of her every day when I pull onto this campus, and I, I miss seeing that wheelchair. I miss the knock on my door. I miss the tears. I miss the laughter. I miss the arguments. I miss uh, going through scripture with her. I miss praying with her. Um, Lord, I thank you that you allowed us to be in her life, and Lord, more importantly, I'm glad you allowed her to be in my life. And so, Lord, we do ask that you would help us celebrate her well, and I pray, Lord, that this place would continue to be a light for you, 
to the Tracys and to those we haven't met yet. Lord, may this place be a shining light, may be a good witness, a good testimony of what you have done in our lives already. Lord, we do thank you for this time. I pray that these words that we'll read today will be your words. Uh, the words that we've spoken for me will be your words, and I pray that your spirit would, would work all those things together so that we would all walk out of here with something tangible that you've spoken to us to today, that you've ministered to us. Lord, I pray that you keep evil out of here. I pray that you would not allow distractions, the busyness of our lives, but just would allow everything to just go and allow us to fellowship with you this morning. And we give you all the praise here. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, what has been fascinating about the book of Titus. Like I said, it's not a long book. It's only three chapters, 46 verses. You can read through it really quickly. And we've spent a lot of time in that. Uh, you have, as well as Pete and I. And, and in going through it, something jumped out at me as I went to the end, which I get to bring home today, the kind of the final words of Paul to Titus, to this church. And as I went through it and began to kind of analyze it a little bit, for those of you who are English majors, it follows the, the structure of an essay. He gives a thesis statement up front, and then he gives several points, and then he restates his thesis at the end. And so what I'm going to do is restate that thesis statement, which you've already heard. And rather than sounding like a broken record, there's something that I think we pull out of this uh, last passage that will, that will resonate with us, that we can take out of here and say, the book of Titus means this. And so to give you kind of an example, you know, when, when you write papers, you, let's say, the thesis statement is why dogs are the best pets you can have. And then you give points to kind of back that up. You say, well, they're loyal, and then you kind of give some reasons for it. And you say, well, they're protective, and then you give some reasons. And then you say they're therapeutic. You know, they help lower your blood pressure. And then you restate it, your thesis statement, by saying everybody should own dogs, right? Because cats are just finicky and all that. So how many cat lovers we have here? Ooh, I'm sorry. <laughs> really sorry. That was just a special illustration for a special someone this morning. But, but so that's essentially what we're looking at in Titus. And so I'm going to begin by giving kind of the thesis statement that he gives in Titus chapter 1. And if you have your Bibles, you can open up there. It's not absolutely necessary. We're going to put some things up on the screen that will help you follow along with us. But if you want, Titus is a, a little book found between Philemon and First and Second Timothy. If you want to turn there, it'd be great. But this thesis statement, kind of the, the purpose statement of the book of Titus, the, 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 the title, the really the main purpose of this letter that's written to this church is for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. This is a church, as I said, has gotten off a track. They've lost sight of the original love that they had when Christ saved them, that gave them this initial burst of energy to, to proclaim the truth to others. It says later on in Titus that he says, although they profess to know one thing, they deny him by their works outside of the church. And so the central message, the main part of Titus that we want to come away with is that we are to grow in the knowledge of the Lord, which accords with or which is consistent with or which leads us into godliness. And the reason we do that is for the sake of the faith of God's elect. It's for the sake of of the Tracys out there. It's for the sake of your next door neighbor. It's for the sake of your coworker. It's for the sake of the person that you go to school with. It's for the sake of God's faith, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, 
that we are called to live a certain way. And because of what God's done for us, we're compelled to live that way. And so that's the underlying purpose. If you take anything out of here today, it's that we are to grow in our knowledge of the Lord, which accords or leads to godliness. And the reason we do it is for the sake of the faith of God's elect. So that's the thesis statement. That's the big overarching uh, statement of Titus. Because this church has gone astray. They've been listening to false teachers who have kind of begun to confuse the gospel a little bit. They've maybe added something to it or taken away something from it. They maybe think that maybe uh, the, the goodness that comes out of you is generated from you and not from God. They, they were a church that said, do as I say and not necessarily do as I do. So their Sunday life didn't match Monday through Saturday. What was happening outside the church had no bearing on what was happening within the church. So do as I say, but not necessarily do as I do. And that verse 16 was that passage that said, they profess to know Christ, but in their work, they deny him. They are missing a major point of grace, that grace changes us. The title of this entire series has been The Grace-Shaped Life. And grace is something so magnificent that we cheapen it sometimes when we look at it as just this get-out-of-jail-free card. And so Paul's reminding Titus that your salvation came at a tremendous cost, a tremendous price, not just pain and suffering and all that, but a cost that rescued us from, as we've sung earlier today, that we were once lost and now we're found. We were once blind and now we see. Because of that grace, we're now compelled to live a, another way that the old self is being made new, that grace changes us. And so I want to read for you maybe the points about why dogs are good pets, and Paul illustrates here. The first point he said in the very first week was, remember how I talked about that there were false teachers? And so in the very first week of Titus, we talked about appointing good leaders, you know, Paul gives this kind of somewhat encouraging message to Titus that he's got a little bit of work ahead of him. He says in verse 5 of chapter 1, he says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you may put what remained in order. So there were some things that maybe didn't get situated right at the beginning. He said, And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. They were missing the mark. They were, they were being taught something that was maybe a little bit different than what Paul had originally established within the church. I want you to appoint good leaders, men that are of sound faith, sound family, sound character. These will be the men that will help guide and direct this church. So make sure you're careful to appoint good leaders. The second point he makes to his, his, his thesis statement was, I want you to teach sound doctrine. And I want you to have the older people look after the younger people. And, and I use an illustration of it. It's an old illustration that you've all heard a thousand times. It's when, when you set a course with an airplane and you're just one degree off. You just might be a little bit off, but at the end of maybe 50 miles or 100 miles or 500 miles, you're way off course. And that's what was happening in this church. They weren't teaching sound doctrine. The teachers were leading them astray. Now, something I do uh, a little bit here monthly is I work with a Muslim ministry that meets in this, in this building right here. And it's just the most incredible thing to be able to reach out to people that are hurting, lost, uh, in dire need of hope. And about half the room are 
people who have converted to Christianity, about half of them aren't. And I was talking to one of the guys one time, and we were just having this discussion because some of my friends are so fearful of this whole refugee thing and so fearful that we're going to be inundated by terrorists. And I said, how do I help our people not to be fearful of that? And he said, well, they shouldn't be because the terrorists are already here. I said, oh, that's <laughs> covering, you know. And so, so, so then he says, he says, you know, I'd be less worried about them than I would be worried about the wolves in sheep's clothing that are sitting in your congregation right now that are leading your people astray, that are confusing or changing the gospel. He said, you don't have to worry about that. I'd be more worried about your own people not leading your people astray. And it was just kind of this hit to my head, and I thought, wow, I can see why Paul made that a big deal. And then he kind of talked about the older roles to the younger. So older men, older women, younger men, younger women. And what was fascinating about that was he gave a list of things that he wanted the older women and, and older men to do and, and with younger women, and, and they could handle a list. But what I found fascinating in that study was that he had just one thing for younger men because we could not, as younger men, comprehend much. And so he just said, just, just help them to be self-controlled. That's all I want you to worry about is just help them to be self-controlled because he knew we would do stupid things. And so he wanted the older men who used to do those stupid things to help the younger men not to do those stupid things. And so we learned about the roles within the church. Those first two points really accord with the, the thesis statement of growing in the knowledge of the Lord. And so he reminds us of that. He transitions to why we do this, and it's for the sake of the faith of God's elect. He said in his third point, he said, grace has appeared to us bringing salvation, meaning that Christ came to this earth to save us from something that is so bad meaning spiritual death, physical death for an eternity. He came to rescue from that. And when he did that, he bought you for a price. His life is what he bought you for. And so he said, as a result of that, you're no longer a slave to that old way of life. You no longer have to, 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 to work into ungodliness or work into this, this, your temptations and the worldly passions. You have been bought for a price. And by, being, by allowing God to be your master, Jesus to be your master, and you his slave, that's the real pursuit of happiness that Pete talked about on a couple occasions. That when we fall into obedience under him, that's when joy is found. That's when hope is found. That's when people see in our lives something different about us. For the sake of God's, or for the sake of the faith of God's elect, they see people that have been changed because of grace that appeared in the form of Jesus Christ. And just last week, Pete said, this is how we do it. Because we try to muscle through it on our own. But he said, no, this is how you do it. It says, we were once dead. So he says, you now have been regenerated by the washing of the Holy Spirit. And what we witnessed last week right here in the baptisms were just incredible stories of how lives were regenerated, meaning they were old and they were made new meaning they were walking in this direction, and then when the Lord caught them, they immediately began walking into this direction. He says, I have given you myself. I have given you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells within you. So how do you do it? You have the Holy Spirit. Allow him to produce that godliness in your life, and people will see it. 
It's no longer I who live, as I said before, but Christ who now lives inside of me. That grace changed us and is changing us. We're no longer slaves to this old life of sin. We're made new now to do God's work, to glorify him. And this is where Paul says to Titus, I no longer want this church to be do as I say and not as I do, but I want you to be a do as I say and do as I do church. And that leads us right into the conclusion where he restates his thesis statement. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, I'm good. I think I know what the thesis statement goes, and we can get out of here really fast today. But I want to share with you a couple passages in this. Now, imagine this, this congregation in Crete, this church, is hearing this message from Paul. And Paul's kind of a famous guy, and they all know him, and so they're hanging on every word he says. And now Titus is about to say, okay, I'm getting ready to close this thing up. These are the final words of Paul. And so I can imagine they're just moving to the front of their seat. What's he going to share with us? What are the last words that Paul is going to share with us? And they're anxiously inclining their ears to hear Titus read this letter. And so what I want to do right now is because I know you do a much better job of listening to a British accent. <laughs> You've been captivated by the Brit. You've listened to every word he said. You've hung on every word that he says. And so I've asked Pete to come and read for us the words that Paul shared with Titus in the best James Bond accent that he can have, because I know you will listen to him. I'm pretty sure it's just because there's some long words here that are a bit complicated, <laughs> so, so we'll see how this goes. But um, Titus 3, uh, reading from verse 8, if you turn in your Bibles there. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for all people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Thank you. I couldn't have said it better myself. And it's Tychicus. <laughs> Thank you, Pete. I know you listen more to the accent than you listen to me, so I want to make sure we drove this home. So there's really, I'm going to summarize what you just read, and then I want to come back and because what you're hearing in that final message is essentially a restating of his thesis statement that we're to grow in the knowledge of faith for the sake of God's elect, 
Stay away from false teaching. And then you get to see this kind of personal nature of the letter where you see it would be something you would write where he sends greetings and encouragement for certain people and invites them to, to come and visit. And then he has this grace and peace to you, you know, love and hugs Paul. But what I want to get back to is that there's something that came right at the beginning of that passage. And it said, this saying is trustworthy. I'm going to have Roy put that back up on the screen. Verse 8 begins with, the saying is trustworthy. And so we don't quite know what that saying is. And so I want to read for you what the saying is. And it's found in just the verses preceding this. And you can listen to it or find it in your Bibles. But I'm going to read from verse 3 through verse 7 of chapter 3. It says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That saying is trustworthy. And that saying is, oh my word, Jesus Christ died for you. A human being drug across, was beaten and hung on a piece of wood until he suffocated and died for you so that you would not have to die. He did all of that for you. And then he said, I'm going to come and live with you through the Holy Spirit. That saying is trustworthy. And the reason I think he can say that saying is trustworthy is Paul was a trustworthy person. Paul was someone who had an interaction with the living, risen Savior. His moment of coming to realization who Jesus was was in his road to Damascus when Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And some say, obviously, he heard the audible voice of Jesus, but some also believe that he saw Jesus, the risen Jesus at that moment. So Paul, without a doubt, could say, this is trustworthy. What he did is true. And you need to believe it, and you need to be changed as a result of it. So that saying is trustworthy. Then he restates his hypothesis in a couple verses here by saying, I want you to grow in the knowledge of truth that leads to godliness. And where I'm going to spend a little bit of time here is just on two verses in this last passage. Verses 8 and verses 14. You know, we've got a perfect essay going right now, and I want you to walk away from here with just one little piece of encouragement today. The two verses that I'm going to look at are verses 8 and verses 14. And the reason I am is because there's two phrases that are exactly the same. They both say, make sure you tell these people to devote themselves to good works. To devote themselves to good works. Again, not out of something that they can do, that they can muster up, but because of this trustworthy saying that Christ died to give us life. He regenerated us. He made us new. And now devote themselves to good works. Because as I said earlier, what they had learned 
in the church building was not being mirrored in the life building outside. Now, the good works one, we've talked a lot about that in the past, but the word I kind of looked at, I wanted to spend a little time with, was just the word devote. Originally, kind of you go in with your biases and you think you know what that word means, and sure enough, as I look up that word devote, I see what it means, and what I thought it was, was that you set a priority with it. It's something that you set above everything else, that it's something with fervor, that you place before something. And sure enough, that is one of the definitions. When I found that word, it's only used eight times in the New Testament, that word, specific word for devote. Six of those times are that, and six of those times are used by Paul. But ironically, the other two are used by Paul. All eight times that that word devote is only used by the Apostle Paul. But what's fascinating for me, which I think will help us in this whole idea of who does the work and how we're to do it, the two times simply mean to maintain. Not necessarily as a priority in our life, but just to be constant. Kind of that natural rhythm of your life, a natural outpouring of your life. So when he's saying devote yourselves, devote themselves at the church to good works, it means just as a natural outpouring, you don't have to set it above anything else because we have this great tendency to want to wake up every morning and put together a list of all the things I'm going to do today for good works or for the Lord. And he's saying, ah, it's easier than that. Remember in that song we said train ourselves earlier? train ourselves to godliness, this is, this is just a daily routine. This is when you're at the grocery store and you see someone having trouble there getting a cart. Maybe you go over and help them. When you see that little old guy in your neighborhood who walks the dogs, maybe you go over and talk to him and just find out a little bit more of his story. Maybe it's the girl who comes to school with you someday and she's sobbing for whatever reason, and, and you can just go over there and begin to engage with her life. We have opportunities to do good works 24 hours a day. And the Lord is at work in our midst, and he's just wanting you to get involved in it. He's inviting you into it. But it's not something we have to set necessarily as a priority. It's just a natural rhythm of our life. And I think that's what he's telling this church, is I don't want you to go ahead and create all these lists because these false teachers have begun taking them away from this free gift that they've received, thinking it's something they can manufacture. You say, no, if you, if you truly grasp, if you truly wake up every morning knowing that Christ died for you, you're compelled to live this other way. And I just want it to be natural. When you're at the grocery store, the gas station, the football games, just I want it to be natural that you care about others. The second word, as I said, was the good works piece. And the good works piece sometimes isn't directly connected to Paul. And so I did a little quick research on that word as well. 161 verses have that word good works in it. And 74 of them are contributed to Paul. Interesting, because Paul sometimes is known as the grace apostle. But 74 of the 161 verses, he talks about good works. Because he believes... And I believe that grace changes us. And that's what this whole message of Titus has been. Because of our knowledge of the truth, we're compelled to live another life. We're compelled to change. Grace changed us at salvation, and it's changing us today. 
And so this great passage that you all have either memorized or marked in your Bibles, and, I, and I'm purposely not going to put it on the screen because I want, for those of you that have Bibles, I want you to open up to the book of Ephesians. And where you find Ephesians is you've got the first and second Corinthians, and then you have the General Electric Power Company. That's how my mom taught me how to find it. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So look up Ephesians chapter 2. And this is a passage of Scripture that I've known well, that I've taught from, that, that I've memorized, and it's one I share with people when they come to me and they say, I'm trying to find meaning and purpose in my life, and who is Jesus, and, and I've worked so hard, and I haven't been able to find peace or hope. I go to this passage of Scripture. But I missed one of the verses that was real close to the ones that I've had underlined in my book. So whether you have a, a Bible or whether you have an electronic uh, device of some sorts, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to read for you verses 8 and 9, and this is one you've heard before. This is Paul's, I, I think, one of his pinnacle verses that he has written. It says in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That is the most beautiful statement of grace, unmerited favor, that there's nothing you possibly could have done that would have helped Jesus along that trail to Calvary. There's nothing you could have done that would have moved that situation faster or taken care of the price that he, there's nothing you could have done. Only he could do that. So that's what it's telling us in that first two verses. But verse 10's the one I just kind of, went right past. In verse 10, it says, for we are his workmanship. We are now his slaves. We are now his bondservants. We are now servants to the king. And as Pete so eloquently talked about in the last few weeks is, in our true pursuit of happiness, it was only found when we were in true obedience to him in the garden. That's when true happiness was. And then we spend the rest of our life trying to find it when we don't realize it's just in full and complete submission to him. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Because of what Christ did for you, grace changed you at that moment. And now grace continues to change us as we kind of begin each day figuring out more and more what that really meant when Christ saved us. We're now compelled to live this other way because we are his, we are his servants. And that's been the simple message of Titus. This was a church that this letter was written to that, that had gotten off track, that had, had maybe could intellectually describe that grace that was given to them but it didn't change them, or they got off track. And so Paul is saying, no, 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 I don't want you to miss the point. There is the sake of the faith of God's elect out there who need to know this truth and what it's done in your life. And one of the messages Pete shared, which I don't know if you guys caught it, I think it was his British accent, frankly, that you didn't realize how much he was poking us. But he said something like this, he says, if you aren't seeing grace change in your life, if you're not seeing fruit, or is what, uh, in this last passage, it says it's profitable for you, perhaps you don't know him yet. 
Perhaps you've been coming to church all your life and you, you call yourself a Christian and you believe certain things, but, but you haven't seen that change in your life. Perhaps you don't know him yet. And so he's calling you to himself right now because he says those good works that we're devoting ourselves are profitable to all people. They're profitable to you and I who are Christ followers and they're profitable to those who don't know him yet. So this simple message of Titus was just to try to get this church back on track. And what's interesting is it was a letter written to a church. And we so easily confuse that a church is a building and a church is a structure. But it was written to people. It was written to a body of believers. It was written to us. A church can't be a witness. We're seeing churches close now. As Pete has witnessed over in the UK and as we're beginning to see here, churches are closing. I don't have to be reminded about this church. This church had chain link fence around it and was closed and was dead. They became about themselves. They believed that the message of the Lord was about them and not about others. And it quickly died from the inside out. Paul is writing a letter to a body of believers, a movement of people who believe that Jesus Christ died and rose for them. And because of that, you're to live a life that's worthy of the calling that he's placed in our side, in, in our lives. So he's writing a letter to people. And he's given us Christ as the ultimate model who died for us. He said the greatest commandment was to love God and love others. So we've got this message saying from Jesus saying, just like we've heard here, I want you to grow in the knowledge of the truth and that accords with godliness. They'll know you believe in me. They'll know that you serve me as a result of your belief in me. We are to be the witnesses. It's not the government's responsibility. It's not the world's responsibility. It's our responsibility. We have a great opportunity, and I can see no greater opportunity even now in the midst of our world that is struggling to find some form of meaning and purpose. Our, pol our political situation has got everybody just tense. The terrorism, as I mentioned earlier, racism, just general division in this country. I see of no greater opportunity we have as a church to be that witness, to be that light, because of what Christ did for us. And that's the simple message of Titus. It's a simple message to help a church, help a group of people get back on track. Because the actions of the church wasn't matching what they claimed to believe. So as I close, I, I'd, I'd like to think this letter was not just meant for the church at Crete. Perhaps there's something in this message over the last six weeks that you believe applies to us, applies to you. Perhaps it's through growing more in the knowledge of who Christ is, through one of the small groups that was mentioned, through sharpening your faith with other groups within the church here that meet regularly. Or perhaps it's something in that you want to see good works produced in your life and you come alongside one of our ministry partners and help serve in this community. Perhaps something is poking you today. And you're asking yourself this question, has grace changed me and is grace changing me? Is the knowledge and gratefulness of what Christ did for me and his resurrection so moving in my life 
that I have to live this way Sunday to Sunday? Are we going to be a church that is just do as I say and not as I do, or a church that is truly do as I say and do as I do? Are we growing more in our likeness of the Lord? Are we growing more in our likeness of the world? This church in Crete did not look much different than the culture it lived in. And we are to rise above the culture. And so that, again, is the simple message of Titus, trying to get this church back on track. And you guys are good. I, I, I hope you don't think I'm beating you this morning. Pete does a good job of beating you, but you don't realize it because he speaks with an accent. <laughs> but I'm encouraging you today, just like I think Paul was encouraging Titus and encouraging that church. He wanted his body of believers to be a witness. And you guys do so much in this community that it warms my heart when I hear and see the stories that you're doing. But I want to urge you on. I want to keep us moving forward. And so we have three ways in which we can do that. And I hate to give you a list, but I'm giving you three things that you can get involved in that will demonstrate how grace has changed you. And I don't want you to do this out of any type of obligation. I want you to do this because of what Christ has done to you. One is what Paul or Pete had mentioned earlier with regards to our elders fund. This particular Sunday, all of those funds are going to Larkspur Elementary School. That's a school where I shared with you last week where 80% of the students live below the poverty line. Not only will they not show up with a backpack or pencils or paper or shoes or socks, who knows what they're going to show up with to the first day of school. I remember asking the nurse there, I said, can you give us a list of things that they need? And they said, you name it, we need it. These people will show up, these kids will show up with nothing. And so we are going to gather things for them, but we're also going to collect some financial resources to be able to bless the teachers, to be able to help in the classrooms, but tangibly help Larkspur Elementary. They're at 24th Street and Cactus, just down the road. Second thing I want you to get involved in is in two weeks from now, on August 13th or 14th, whatever that Sunday is, we are going to have a joint church service, chapel service with Arizona Christian University. They get back into school, and they are advertising that they're going to have a chapel service at 9 and 11 here at Scottsdale Bible Church. And so we're going to partner with them. There's going to be a bunch of kids in here, and we're going to be singing and raising our hands and having a great time. But Pete had this great idea. He said, what we do back in the UK with our international students or people that come in from different colleges and such is we adopt them. And I thought, what a great idea. And so what we're going to do is we're going to adopt a student next week or in a couple weeks. We're going to have a sign-up table where you can actually adopt a student. And that doesn't mean you have to have them move in with you. <coughs> but maybe... Take them to dinner three, four times throughout the year. Maybe on a holiday, invite them back to your place. I know as my kids have moved away, I've really appreciated the people that have reached out to my kids. And so we're going to adopt a student. Maybe you got an extra ticket to the baseball game. Maybe you're going on a trip that you can, uh, you can afford to take an extra body with you. And so I want us to love on those kids. Just because their middle name is Christian University, I'm not claiming to think they all know the Lord. And so I want us to be a witness to our neighbors that way. So that's the second way. The third way is our country is going to experience kind of a, a, a date that's coming up in the next few weeks that is a date that, that 
is a pretty challenging date for a lot of us. It was September 11th, and we have a lot of memories about September 11th. But here's the new memory I want to plant in our hearts today, is on September 11th, I want us to begin praying for that day. And I want us to pray for that day, not in exactly the way you think, but I want you to begin praying for that neighbor in your neighborhood that you're going to invite over to your house for dinner. Maybe lunch, maybe coffee, but you're going to begin to pray for that person. And by September 11th, you will have met with them. Simply to just get to know them. And I know exactly who I'm going to invite. I've got this little old man that's tall and skinny, looks like an old cowboy, and he walks these two little dogs. And I just wonder what his story is. And so I'm going to invite him over to my house for dinner, lunch, or coffee. Is that okay, Jill? <laughs> I don't want what we do here to just stay here. There's a world of hurting people, and there's a world of people that God's calling us to love on. And because for those of us who know him, oh my goodness, we were once those wretched souls that we sung about earlier, and now we're his. So through our elder fund, through adopting a student, through tangibly reaching out to your neighbor by September 11th, and you're going to hear that every week, September 11th, September 11th, and only you're going to know what it means. We're going to reach out to our neighbors and truly love them. You know, as Pete mentioned, we send out an e-news every week or so, and in this particular week, I, I, writ, I wrote a little bit about this message, and I wrote at the end of it something along these lines. I said, my prayer is that we will be a church that lives out grace that we have received, and we truly believe it in our hearts, that godliness will be seen in this church, that godliness will be seen in this community, that North Phoenix will know there are Christians, there are Christ followers who recognize the tremendous price in which they were bought from death from. And so I want to close in that prayer this morning, and I hope, are you guys with me? Are you going to join me in this? That's not a big deal. Oh, I got a little golf clap. Okay. Well, thanks for, thanks for allowing me to, to share that, and thanks for allowing us to have these six weeks of being able to um, share, I think, a message that was not only for a little church in Crete, but also for a little church in North Phoenix. Let's pray as we invite our ushers forward and our musicians forward as we close this morning. Lord, we do thank you for this day. We thank you that uh, you have bought us for a price, and we are now yours. And Lord, out of no obligation, but out of sheer devotion, we now are devoted to you just as a rhythm of life, just with every breath that we take, with every heartbeat that beats, we are yours. And Lord, may others see you in us. Lord, we're so thankful. We're, we're, I mean, it almost seems petty to even just say thanks. Lord, we are a grateful people. And so Lord, continue to do a work in us. Continue to do a work in this place. May it never be about the building. May it be about the church your bride, this body of believers, this movement of Christ followers. And as we move throughout our lives in schools and jobs and grocery stores, may Christ be glorified and may those, the sake of God's elect, be, 
drawn to your light. Lord, we do thank you for this precious time together. Lord, we pray that as we begin to reach out to Larkspur, that they would know we are yours by our love. So Lord, we, we ask your blessing upon this time and your blessing upon the ministry of this church. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.